Jeff, I told you I know what buttons to press. <laughs> let's 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 uh, make sure that we're actually live here. Someone in the chat, tell us so you can hear us and see us. See if Jason did it right. <laughs> we did it. We are live. Welcome everybody to the uh, February 2024 first Fridays live uh, live podcast stream here. Uh, thank you to the couple people in the audience so far that are joining us. Uh, we have been chatting prior to hitting go, making fun of Jason mostly, which has been fun for me. It's a, it's, uh, a, it's the right move. I just want to say I approve <laughs> of that of that action. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm great. You've been I know you've you've had some time off, which is good. Recharge the batteries. You're you're fully disengaged from the markets. I am plugged the f in. I know everything that's going on, and I'm pumped about it. Actually, I'm mostly just high on caffeine because I had a big Starbucks. Yeah, I was uh. I was away for a few days, so I'm trying to get my head back in it. Um, Eric, in the audience, I, I did get your email. I'm gonna we're gonna respond to it. I was just a little swamped with getting stuff done before I went away, and then I just got back last night. So, um, all right, we have before we get rolling here, Jason, we have to do a a ad read. Um, we're gonna do an ad read live, which will be super exciting. So we'll do it quickly. Um, this is for our our, our sponsor, public.com, which you may have heard us do ads for them in the last couple episodes. It's on our banner. Uh, there's a banner on our icon on the podcast apps. Uh, so Jason, hit it. Hey, Investing Unscripted listeners. You might know public.com as the all-in-one investing platform. Now they've launched, launched options trading. And with it, they're doing something never ever been done by any other brokerage before. Public is sharing 50% of their options trading revenue directly with you, the customer. So whenever you trade options on public, you get something back. And of course, there are no commissions or per contract fees either. That's right. And by sharing 50% of their options revenue, you'll know exactly how much they make from your options trades because public is literally giving you half of it. In other words, it's a more transparent approach to options with no fees and you get something back on every single trade. So go to public.com and activate options trading by March 31st to lock in your lifetime rebate. This ad is paid for by public investing, must activate options account by March 31st for revenue share, options not suitable for all investors and carry significant risk, full disclosures in podcast description, US members only. All right. With that said, what is new Jason? So it's, it's earnings season. So there is a ton that you need to catch up on, Mr. Santoro. But what's new since we did our, our January uh, first Friday live stream? The, the big thing, and it's funny, in pre-planning, neither one of us came up with this. We're officially in a bull market. The S&P 500 broke um, the previous all-time high, which was like, I don't know, two years ago? It's a substantially, it feels long. Um, but it really wasn't long. And I, I want to talk a little bit about like those kind of going through those bear markets and like the top peak to peak kind of where historically where that fits in. Yeah. It, I don't know. It, does it feel to you like we're in a, in a bull market? It, I guess some days it does to me, but I, I think because the last time we were in one, it was that crazy time in, in 2020 and 2021 when everything was going up and, NFTs and crypto and all that craziness. And and this is like a different feeling kind of bull market. It seems like there's a little less mania, even if there is some some high valuations out there. But it seems a little different to me. Yeah, it's it's the, the first time I'd ever heard this phrase, and it wasn't the first time um, anybody said it, but Ben Carlson, 
um, does the Wealth of Common Sense um, blog and works at Ritholtz uh, Wealth Management, does um, uh, Animal Spirits, I think is the podcast that he does with one of the other Ritholtz guys, um, called it you know a wall, a, a wall of worry, right? The market always climbs a wall of worry. And I'm one of those people that I've talked about it before, Jeff, like I always... Like I'm always expecting a recession within a year. Like I literally always feel that way. Um, so I never feel like I'm in a bull market. Like I never really feel like the animal spirits pushing me. Um, I guess most people probably do. Cause like if you look at like the data around like interest and activity, it's always high when the market hits an all time high and it stays high around those periods. So, you know, People love a winner, and I think that carries over to to stock the stock market too. Yeah, I think the other thing I've been thinking a lot about, and anyone who's in or near retirement is probably going to be mad at me for saying this, but having not having look looked back at twenty twenty two now, and this is always how probably everyone feels in, in hindsight. I wish I had bought more stocks then. <laughs> so, yeah. so there is a part yeah. of me that's like. You know, I wouldn't mind a little bit of a of a pullback here, so I could you know add to some of the positions in my portfolio that I think are a little bit out of my reach right now, or maybe add some new ones that I've been having on my watch list, but I still think are a little bit too expensive to to initiate a position in. Um, you know, I, and I think that's the the benefit of being still a, a decade or two away from needing that money is it's okay to yeah. root a little bit for a pullback. I, I say that with all. You know, with all the understanding that if you're looking to retire or about to retire or just did retire, you're probably cursing my name right now. Um, but it's just I it's only on my mind because I've only been through a few of these like up and down cycles as an individual stock investor. So it's on my mind thinking about what I'll do next time there's a pullback in terms of what stocks I buy. Yeah, a couple of like quick little data points on like peak to peak period. So like going through the bear market and then finding out you're back in a bull market when it actually gets back to all time highs, that's kind of the recognized, you know, the market's been going up and it's broken, broken an all time high, then it's considered a bull market. Um, you know, we've, we've, for people that have been investing since before 2008, this is the third pretty significant bear market. Um, and this one was really painful because it wasn't just stocks, right? The S and P was down more than 20, like 24, 25%. The, the NASDAQ 100 got crushed, right? Got crushed. Like this is the worst. The NASDAQ 100 got hit since you got to go back to the dot com crash. Um, the Dow took it on the chin, but also fixed income, commercial real estate, like everything was bad. Crypto, I mean, everything, like all the asset classes were really, really brutalized. And like by some measures, you know, that 2022 period, like that was, that was the worst. I mean, that was like the worst downturn in, in history. Like if you look at all the asset classes combined, but if you look at the, and it feels like it took forever, right? And, and they, to a certain extent, they always do, except for the, the pandemic, right? The, the, the peak was February 21st, whatever that Friday was, February 20th or 21st. And we were like peak to peak in less than nine months, right? Yeah. It was 
within one calendar year. And that is incredibly rare. We saw the fastest sell-off and then the fastest recovery. Um, then you go back to the financial crisis, Jeff, and it was like five and a half years from the, that October 2007 peak. And the bottom was March 2009. And then to a full recovery, it was five and a half years total. Um, and that was on the longer end. So this one was maybe a little bit longer, but still relatively average in terms of how long these downturns happen. And to yeah. me, the big lesson is like, you're talking about the FOMO. It's like thinking about like having a framework. This is where dollar cost averaging or always buying can pay off because you don't get so caught up in trying to make the perfect price and waiting for a better price because you missed the perfect price and you feel like you have to wait for it to come back. It doesn't always come back, right? Yeah. I mean, well, that's why I'm happy that as we were going through that 2022 downturn, I was still buying every week. So I was, you know, forcing myself to to make a decision on a weekly basis. I basically was, you know, which is the same thing that happens in my retirement accounts, right? That come out of my paycheck. I don't, I don't decide what what day or what time those get purchased. Um, you know, now that I've kind of changed my strategy and I'm not buying as regularly, I'm a, I have to be, you know, just a little bit more aware of what I'm doing when whenever we do hit another downturn. Uh, all right, before we get into our first topic of conversation here, let's go through the the chat real quick. We have a couple comments. So Teo asks if we've had a look at new since it was mentioned last. Uh, he's pretty excited to see the earnings and the 15% annual savings account. Interest rate is putting our public ads to shame. <laughs> so well, I disagree with that. I would never say a bad thing about a sponsor, but I've not. So I, I'm curious if you know this company at all or much, because I've seen it. It's it's getting talked about more and more you know, around the internet. And it's not one that I've ever really Brazil, looked. I believe, New Bank. Yeah, I know a little bit about them, but I've never really looked into yeah. it. Teo, I apologize. I know I'm, I'm pretty sure that I told you I was going to take a look at it. I, I haven't, which I'm ashamed of because I'd, I've taken a significant interest in banks over the past couple of years. Um, and mostly I've stayed in, in the U.S. Um, I, I really do need to take, I really do need to take a look at it. Um, so, no, I haven't. And I'm sorry. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. I, fair enough. Fair enough. So Ken, I think Ken wins the comments. I think we just have to go ahead and shut it down in terms of quips. Ken said it was either public.com or privates.com. <laughs> you chose wisely. Well played, Ken. Yeah. Well played. Agreed. We did choose wisely. Um, John, I see your comment here asking about outset medical. Um, I plan on talking about them a little bit later in another segment that we have coming up. So I'll, I'll hold my thoughts on that for a few minutes. But Jason, he also asked about your thoughts on on Berkshire and asking if we're going to be at the annual meeting in Omaha this year. Um, I don't think I'll be able to make it to Omaha. It's not a great weekend for my family. And I sort of uh, ignored some important family things last year to go. So I don't think I can swing that two years in a row. Um, I don't know about you, Jason, if you're planning on going, but, but regardless, what are your thoughts on, on Berkshire at, at today's prices? I'm, I'm 50, 50 on the meeting. First of all, I, I want to try to go, um, there's a couple factors that are up in the air that depends on whether or not I'll be able to, um, I need to make that decision quick, start lining up airfare and all that sort of thing. Um, I think it would be uh, number one, it's always fun. And to me, a lot of the fun is just spending time with other maniacal investors, right? You don't get a group of like-minded, crazy people on this weirdo thing that we all love together very often, right? So that's always a lot of fun. 
Um, and if we can talk Jim Gillies into going, it, that's worth the price of admission right there. True. Um, just Jim's Jim's stories are great. Um, the other thing too is just I, I, the fact that I'm I'm of two minds where either there's going to be a massive reduction in the number of people that go, or maybe a record number of people that go with um, Charlie Munger dying it, towards the end of last year. And, and part of me thinks that maybe it's more people um, just because it's like, guess what? These dudes are old and they're really not going to live forever. And now it's like the slap in the face that Warren Buffett is a gift that we're not going to have forever. Yeah. If you ever want to see Warren Buffett in, in person, even if it is in a 30,000 people arena and you're sitting, you know, thousand feet away, you basically have a very few number of chances left, right? Maybe yeah. only one more, <clears throat> maybe only one more. And that was the whole reason I think for you and I both, we, we yeah. were so interested in getting out there last year, kind of feeling like this won't, this won't be the last one, or this could be the last one. And it ended up being the last one for, for Charlie. Um, I'm interested to see when they give out more information about the meeting, if they're going to change the structure of it at all, you know, yeah. the, the, the past decades have been an all day Q and a basically, and then a shareholder meeting with Charlie and Warren on stage, sometimes joined by other people, but essentially just the two of them doing their thing. And I, yeah, I, I feel like a full day of Warren Buffett answering questions with anybody else is going to fall flat. And I feel like he's smart enough to know that. So I'm very curious to see if they change the length of it or the timing or the structure in some way to, to make it feel you know, purposefully different than what it was so that yeah. no one has to feel like they're, I mean, imagine being whoever gets to sit next to Warren Buffett and, and kind of fill Charlie Munger's shoes. Like that's impossible. Right. So yeah, it, I don't think I'll be able to make it, but I'm curious to see, you know, how it shakes out and how it goes. Well, in the, in the second half this, this past year, it was Greg Abel, who's been named as the successor. He's going to replace Buffett as CEO when that change happens. And he's been there 25 years. He came over in, I believe, 98 or 99 when they acquired Mid-American Energy. That's now kind of the core of, of Berkshire Hathaway Energy. So he's been there for forever. But, I mean, he is typical uh, CEO speak, super good guy, great. This is a kind of person you want taking over this business. But, no, I mean, again, there's nobody's Charlie Munger. But he's more of just a typical, you know, kind of stayed, controlled um, executive and Ajit Jain, um, also was on stage taking some questions. Of course, he runs the, the insurance business, um, ran the insurance business for a long time and he can be funny, right? He's got great quips and tells good stories. And he's got really sharp wit. Um, I could see him playing uh, an important role, but I agree, Jeff, I feel like they're going to have to have to change something, but I would guess if they're going to put someone on stage, with Charlie or, or have someone out there longer than they normally are, it makes sense to have it be Greg Abel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, cause at some point, if they're going to continue to do a meeting or a shareholder, you know, the full meeting or a shareholder meeting, he's going to be the face. Of the he's going to be the, right. He's going to be the one doing way, it. You know? So yeah. it makes yeah. sense to get him out there, get him some, get him some reps. I'm going to make um, a prediction. Go for Jeff. it. My prediction is that somewhere along the lines Warren and Charlie both recorded a video that's locked in a vault somewhere that they're going to run. That's basically, Hey, I'm Charlie. I'm dead now. <laughs> and right. It's going to be funny. And I wouldn't be, be surprised. I would not be surprised and poignant yeah. and all that kind of stuff. 
I'm hoping that exists. I'm hoping that exists. And honestly, going to the meeting just on the chance that there's going to be that, because that's like, they don't, they don't let that stuff get out. It doesn't end up getting broadcast outside of the annual meeting. Like that's, they try to make it really exclusive in that way. That would be, that would be worth seeing. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I, I think Cena had an interesting comment here, just talking about bull markets and bear markets. He said, I think my exuberance for a bull market is lower now than it was in 2020 because of the 2022 drop. I feel more guarded now than I did before. I completely agree with that. I, yeah. 2020, 2021, I didn't know what I was doing yet. And I was just buying anything that was going up. And I look back and made some valuation mistakes back then. And I'm, I'm almost, I don't want to say I'm gun shy, but I'm maybe heading towards gun shy right now. Um, you know, I sort my portfolio by uh, total returns sometimes. And I, I find myself just avoiding the top half of it <laughs> because that's where like NVIDIA and Apple and uh, who else is up there? Uh, you know, th these big tech companies that are hitting all time highs. And I'm just like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that alone right now and maybe revisit right. during the next bear market. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with that scene. I, I kind of feel the same way. Well, and I'll say this too. Um a lot, a lot of investors are going through that that started kind of in the same period of time that you guys did and have talked about. And part of it, yeah, was, I mean, just the, just the crazy volatility that we're seeing were, were days where the market would move high single digits one way or the other. And that's you know not normal. I'd never seen that sort of extreme volatility on a consistent basis that we saw in 2020. Uh, but I will tell you this, that same experience of like feeling so driven to do something my first three or four years in investor, as an investor, it was constant. Like it was constant um, to the point where I've, I've talked about this before, Jeff. I went on a uh, like 17 day vacation to Europe with my wife and a cousin that I'm super close to and his now wife. And like after a couple of days, my wife told me, she's like, you have to stop trying to find internet to check your portfolio. <laughs> No, I'm going to leave you in Amsterdam and go on the rest of the trip and you can't be around me. Like it was that. And you know, I got home and my account was fine. Everything was fine. It was no big deal. Right. Um, and it's a good way to, to remember, like as a long-term focused investor, if you're owning good businesses, if there's a single event that happened on a single day that tanked your thesis, well, you screwed up in what you bought. Right. So it's normal. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Teo's got an interesting comment here too. I'm getting to a point where I should add to my winners, some 10% of my portfolio, some two to 5%. It's sobering on the positive side, looking at the low cost basis as, well, you can buy now and it's no big deal. And on the negative thinking, it's so expensive. It really sells you on the importance of not staring too hard at that cost basis. Thoughts on that? I'm Sounds like reading it too. To... Go ahead. You first. No, I was going to say to me, it's, it's that price anchoring thing, right? Like that's, that's the first thing that jumped out to me. And this also gets to, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast, but this whole thing I'm sort of thinking through right now versus like, I used to like to try to buy always at better valuations, which is easier to do when the market is flat or going down. And it's harder to do when it's in a crazy bull run. Yeah. Um, Cause you end up in the, in the six, eight, 10, 12, 15 months between purchases, because you're waiting for that better valuation, you could have missed out on dozens of percents or hundreds of percents in, in, in gains. Um, so I, 
I think adding to your winners is harder than maybe I thought it was. Yeah. Before. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, you know, uh, price anchoring is real, right? It's, it's, it's hard to push against that. Um, on that same episode we were talking about, Jeff, I used Trex as an example of how over about an eight year period, uh, three different investments that I made and every investment that I made was at a better valuation, like markedly better valuation. But I think my opening investment was like $4 and my investment eight years later at a better valuation was in the seventies, <laughs> right? So the stock was up what? 10 times, 15 times, right? It's, it's a substantial difference in returns. And to me, the key is when you start thinking about those sorts of businesses, those multi-bagger businesses, yet you want to buy on better value points. But really what you're looking at is like SoFi as an example. I believe it was Teo that mentioned that in the comments too. Teo is, uh, SoFi is cheaper now than, than it's ever been on an earnings valuation because they've never been profitable until the last quarter. Um, it, I'm, I like buying on be the better valuation, but really what I'm looking for is signs that they're executing on the business, right? So deploying more capital over time is they're earning more of my capital because they're actually doing the thing that they're trying to do. And you're seeing that being demonstrated maybe in better value points, even though the stock price has come up. But it helps keep me from looking back at that low price and saying, you know what? I should have bought a lot more back then. It's like, you know what? Let's rewind to the price and what was the business and what were the unknowns that, that kept me from deploying more money that now I feel comfortable enough to buy the business because I feel comfortable in the quality of the business. They've demonstrated they can make money, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I've tried to do when I think about the phrase add to your winners is try to broaden the definition of winner to be something more than price appreciation. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's also the case that you know, if you look at the way the business is going, everything, you know, they're hitting on all cylinders, so to speak. And maybe you do buy it at a higher valuation or a similar valuation. And I think as long as it's not a insanely overvalued valuation and you have plenty of time and it's a, and if it's a newer company or a younger company, that helps as well. You know, we've talked about this before. In certain instances, you can sort of um, wait out your valuation mistakes. <laughs> You know, with with certain companies in certain situations, uh, not that you should make them because of that, but you know, I, I I think where I've landed is not to get, not to let my pendulum swing too far one way or the other, right? Not to rush in. Hey, hey, this is a fam family friendly show. Don't talk about swinging your pendulum on here, buddy. Not to uh, not to go too far towards the direction of um, buying immediately and filling out a full position, and also not going so far the other way where I buy the same company once every seven years. <laughs> right, right. There's a balance there. You know, there's a balance here. And that's interesting, right? Because like one of my frameworky things that I try to do um, is think about not getting too caught up in deploying buying shares just where I feel the most conviction. Because a lot of times it can just be the same company over and over again. Sometimes you have to just think about diversification too. Yeah. I like, I like Teo's comment here, Jeff. I'm way more expensive now than I was five years ago. I'm, I'm not. No, you're losing value every day. Um, all right. Depreciating so asset, <laughs> Jason, depreciating asset hall. Um, Jason's like a car. You just drove off the lot. All right. Um, so it's earnings season. We've had a couple of our large tech friends, uh, report in the last week or 10 days. I'm curious, cause I was away and you were plugged in, as you said, what has stood out to you so far in 
earnings season. I was happy to see Amazon's results. Uh, that was a nice little pop since that's a stock I own and is in my portfolio. But as someone who's paying a little closer attention over the past week than I was, I'm curious what your initial thoughts are here as we're early into earnings season here. So, uh, SoFi, I'll, I'll talk about SoFi. I've already done some videos on our YouTube channel. Go check those out. I've got another one that I think is going to run Sunday, Sunday. Um, maybe actually I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably set it to public tomorrow. Um, but that we've, we've known they were going to report a gap profitable fourth quarter for a while. Um, word got out that that was going to happen. Uh, and they did as two cents share. So not, not, it was like $40 million or something like that. So it's substantial amount of like actual profitable dollars. And they're saying it's eight, they're going to earn eight cents a share in 2024. So the trend is continuing, which is really, really good. But the big thing is they, they put a guidance out there going all the way to 2026. So that's three, three years, all of this year, plus the next two. Um, and they're calling for earnings per share between 55 cents and 80 cents, um, in 2026. So if they hit 80 cents a share in gap earnings, the stock price today is like, I don't know, 10 times, 12 times, or I haven't looked at the stock price today. Um, but that's pretty cheap considering that they're still growing, um, revenues, I think revenue like 33% this year, and they're anticipating 20 to 25% continued revenue growth, um, average annualized revenue growth from here. And that compounds into a lot of profits, right? Um, when you have a business like that, that scales, they don't have to build a new bank on every corner in every market that they want to enter, right? These internet banks get extreme, extreme, um, operating leverage. Um, Axos financial is one that reported that really demonstrates that, um, their, um, their operating, uh, their efficiency ratio, ratio, which is a, measure the percentage of the revenues that cover operating expense is in the thirties. It's in the low thirties. You look at the big banks, they're like 50 or 60, right? So twice as much of their revenues have to cover operating expenses. And that's, that's just a way that these, um, these digital only banks can really, really just, there's some, and they're, they're worth higher multiples because they're more profitable because of that. Um, the difference with SoFi and Axos and some of these others is SoFi, like so much of their, book right now is those personal loans that are unsecured. It's higher up the risk profile. The reward side, they get a 6% net interest margin. I think Bank of America's was like 2.9 something. So like yeah, double, yeah. double the profit margin on their lending book. But you don't have a house you can repossess or that somebody knows they're going to lose. So they're more likely to keep making that payment. Um, so if we do see an economic downturn, they're you know, there's risk there um, that you don't have with the big banks and that you don't have with access. Yeah. I was going to ask you, maybe you already answered it. What can, if you had to give the, the bear case or, or something to be worried about or keep an eye on, is that the biggest risk you think to the business? Just that the unsecured loans present a level of risk you don't see with the big banks? Yeah. If, if we do have uh, you know, a pretty marked um, recession, economic downturn, like we've already seen a lot of job losses in tech and that kind of thing, right? That's, that's been hit. And that's actually kind of like their target um, demographic is people that earn a lot of money and have very high FICO scores, right? That's like what they want to do. They were started in the, t in the, in the Bay Area as um, a lender, like they wanted to be like a like pooled lending where it was like crowdfunded lending for student loans. That was like their first model. Obviously, that's changed over time. But, but the thing is like if we see... 
and I don't think this will happen because they've really become very diversified in terms of their deposit base and their borrowing and their borrower base. Um, but think about like Silicon Valley Bank, like they were so concentrated in tech companies. That's why they blew up. If they're too concentrated in like the cohort of who their borrowers are, and if a lot of those borrowers are also depositors, then, well, people don't have money. So your deposit base gets hit and now they're not making their loan payments and you don't have an asset you can go repossess besides somebody's credit score, which is not worth any money to you. Right. Um, so that's, that's the downside risk or, and here's, and that's like the worst case scenario. There's something in the middle where they're just, they're not as good at, at, at origination and managing credit risk as we think they are. And they just make bad loans and their default rates go up, but it doesn't look like that's happening. They're not, they could grow this business a lot faster than they are, but they're not, they're being mindful about how they grow it. Yeah. And that's something we learned in our conversation with John Maxfield uh, several months ago that basically, you know, good banks don't grow as fast as they can <laughs> because yeah. for that exact reason. So, right. um, so one of the headlines I noticed as I was kind of heading back from vacation was, uh, Meta's earnings, Ooh. which, which just by the stock reaction for a company of that size would tell you that they were, you know, at least made the market happy. But the big thing that I didn't know, and you told me, cause I wasn't paying close of attention that sort of shocked me. And I still don't really know how I feel about it is the fact that yeah. they in instated a dividend. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a small dividend in the scheme of yield. 50 cents a quarter per share. That's two bucks a year. The stock's over $400 after today. So it's like a half a percent yield. That's like when Microsoft first started their dividend too, right? It's like, it was a very super low yield. Apple's is still pretty low too. Saying, well, Apple stock's done so well as part yeah. of that too. But like, these are companies that are still growing the dividend pretty fast, right? And I think there is a very good chance that they, that they, do follow that track record of that, that path of growing the dividend at a pretty quick, pretty quick rate. Um, I, I like it. Uh, Teo's weighing in here that he likes it too. Um, I will push back a little bit. Teo says, um, the meta, meta, meta dividend is a really, really good idea. Keep Zuck from melting the company on the metaverse. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. I They're still going to melt money on the metaverse. <laughs> they are, they are. They're, op they're expecting the operating loss in their reality labs business is going to increase this year. It increased last year. So last year was the year of efficiency. The operating loss at, at Meta, um, at um, uh, Reality Labs increased by $3 billion roughly. And it's going to increase again this year. So they, they got too efficient by getting rid of people doing other stuff, right? They cut their headcount by like 25% last year. Um, they're saving money by reducing staff there. They're saying they're going to have to hire again. They've reached a point of attrition where they have to start bringing people on. Um, so they're not, they're not, they're not cutting back there, right? They cut back in other places. Yeah. Um, and so Jen, I, Jen, just real quick, Jen added yeah. in the, in the chat that she likes the dividend because she thinks it forces some fiscal discipline, which is an aspect of it that I hadn't thought of, but I think that that makes some sense. Maybe. I mean, it should. It absolutely should, but it's TBD. I do think this, the business is at a level of, of um, maturity where it makes sense. See, there's that word, mature, mature. Mature. Um, but I do think like they're in a phase where they should do it. You think about when Apple instituted their dividend. You think about when Starbucks did these other companies. The difference is that it's much accelerated for, for um, Meta because it grew so fast. It got to this very big scale really quickly. But you think about like the cadence of a business, it makes sense. Here's the thing though. Um, 
a lot of it's going to be predicated on what the ad market does. Uh, yeah, that's my big worry. Line. And so th there's really three things that happened for Meta that made this such a good year. Cutting back on on expenses and and a bit a big chunk of that was from um, staff reductions. That we're really going to see the full year benefit of it this year because they had like three point six billion dollars. Um, in costs related to the restructuring, those are going to, you know, those costs are spent, that money's gone, but that's one thing. The other two things, um, the ad market bounced back, um, ad total ad impressions increased 20, 25% for the full year. Um, and we're starting to see a recovery in ad rates. Ad rates were up 2% in the fourth quarter. They were down for the year, but they're starting to get better. And engagement was up, uh, average daily users across all of the meta um, apps was up 8% at the end of the year, 7.8%, over 3 billion, almost 3.2 billion users. They call it daily active people. And then the monthly, this month, the monthly metric of that was like 3.8 billion. It was almost 4 billion, um, people. So you see engagement go up and you see the ad market get healthy and the cash cow, um, grew an extra teat as it were, <laughs> Jeff. I mean, it was pretty, pretty substantial. Um, all right. So, so here's, so here's my question. When is Google going to implement a dividend eh, or alphabet? I, I should say, I don't know. They should, they should have already. Yeah, they, they should have. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. All right. Well, then we'll move on to the next thing. So here's, all right. So what companies are you looking for? Like, are there any that, that you're specifically looking forward to, you know, reporting in the next couple of weeks? I have a couple on my on my list, but I'm curious what you're looking at. I always want to hear from CrowdStrike, uh, but they won't report for a while. Yeah, they're one of the last ones. Um, I think next week we've got, um, oh goodness, what's the other cybersecurity company you and I both are big fans of? I'm just- uh, Fortinet? Yeah, Fortinet, I think reports next week. Yeah, they're sooner. Soon, soon. And I don't I don't think the markets love their results the past couple of reports. No, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that it wasn't top of my mind, but I'm now that you said it, I'm I'm actually very interested in, in seeing how they do because yeah, both of the last two earnings results, I believe both of them resulted in 20% drops. Um, yeah. And I, I think warranted to some degree. I mean, it wasn't a cheap stock uh, even during 2022. It never got really, really cheap. And even after those big drops, it was still on the expensive side, I think for good reason. I mean, it's a great company does, you know, its results were even with the drops were more about, I think, Valuation related than business related. I mean, yes, they were going yeah. through a, a tougher time, but there's no reason to believe it would the business is in danger or anything like that. I think it's just the regular cycle of how things go. But it will be interesting to see if they, you know, disappoint the market again. If we'll see another huge drop or if some of that's been shaken out. Um, so yeah, that's a good one to to keep an eye on. I, I think the companies reported Brookfield companies. So I looked at Brookfield Infrastructure today. I think they did really well. Um, I haven't looked at the others, so I'll be, that'll be maybe some weekend reading for me. Yeah. I don't follow Brookfield anymore. I used to own, uh, which, which ticker is BIPC that the, uh, Brookfield infrastructure infrastructure. That's the one I owned several years or not, not several, a few years ago, but then I sold it cause it was too, it made my head hurt trying to understand what they did. Um, so I'll, I'll jump to outset medical now because John asked about it earlier, I think if I had to like look through my whole portfolio and pick one company that I'm most interested in 
earnings. It's got to be outset because, well, and we've talked about it a lot already. I won't go into incredible detail, but prior to that, like one or two month span last year where they had just awful news one after another, there was the news about Ozempic being good for kidneys. And then there was news about, then they pre-released results saying that the stop sale on their one version of their device was impacting their revenue more than they expected. And, and then they reported and it dropped again. Um, but prior to all that, and this is one of the reasons I picked it in the portfolio contest last year, they were pretty bullish on 2023 being a year where in the second half, they would really see some, some improvement. And I think they just got delayed a little bit. I hope it's a delay and not a, a derailment, but I just cannot believe how much the stock continues to fall. I think it's down another 40, it's down 46% so far this year. I, I just, I don't get it. So, but this is an interesting topic I want to talk through with you because this is where there's the part of me that says this could be a incredible buying opportunity if this company ends up being a big winner or the market could be right. And this is a company that's going to not make it. And you never know until you know. Um, And this is where like the imposter syndrome of being like a newer investor and also not really being an expert in anything, but especially the medical device industry. So I keep reading results and I keep reading 10Ks and 10Qs and press releases and looking at their, you know, what they say. And it does really just feel like they're in a rough patch. But when the market is this unanimous in how it feels about the company, it's hard not to think you're wrong and you're, and you're the one who doesn't get it, you know, and then a year or two from now, I could be kicking myself and be like, why didn't I buy when it hit an all time low, like every week? Um, So I don't know. What do you, not specifically about outset, but I'm curious what you think about that whole kind of dilemma. So generally, I think this is just, it's it's a textbook example of it can't get much lower, right? Um, Well, I thought that at the end of 2023, and then it dropped another 40%. That is exactly my point. You know, never buy a stock because you think, you think, well, it's, it's already. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can't possibly get any. Yes. Yes. Zero is a possibility for every company, right? The probability is what you're trying to figure out. And this is this is one where I think a couple things are happening. Um, part of it, Jeff, is because they have kind of had these struggles, um, and it's affected their ability to ramp sales, which generates margin dollars, which helps pay the bills and helps offset cash burn. Is they're probably going to end the year having burned one hundred and sixty, one hundred and seventy million dollars in free cash, which yep. is basically going to leave them with about one year of cash left on their balance sheet. So I think part of it too is it's there's there's the product, right, which seems wonderful and, and all of the potential that it has, but then there's the realities of being a business and the stock's down this much. It starts to become like a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, okay, the stock's less than $3 a share now. We're burning through money. We need to start thinking about bolstering our balance sheet. How do we get money? Interest rates are up. We're not generating, nobody's going to give us good terms on right. debt. Yeah. Regular interest rates are up and they're not going to get good interest rates on top of that. Right. Right. And then, and then the other side, you have investors saying, well, they're going to have to raise money. I'm going to get diluted. I'm going to sell. And it drives the stock price down even more. Right. So it becomes like this vicious, brutal cycle 
that can undermine a business, right? It can undermine the viability of a business. And the next thing you know, they're either taking a bad deal, they're diluting investors a ton just to raise capital, or they capitulate and they find a buyer, right? And, you know, that's just kind of the realities of business. And um, I mean, that could be what happens. That could be what happens. So yeah, we are. yeah, it's tough. You know, and there's, and I look at the results and like, you know, in at the end of 2021, so in Q4 of 2021, their gross margin was 12%. In Q3 of this year, or, you know, the last reported quarter, it was uh, 24%. That's a, that's a huge increase for gross margin over less than two years. But on the flip side, they're just as unprofitable and just as cash burning as they were two years ago. So like they're getting this enormous, you know, top of the income statement improvement and it's not translating to profitability at all, which yeah. says that they're just, you know, their operating expenses are still bonkers. So, right. Well, they're having to increase sales and marketing expense and things like that now that yeah. they have a product out there. So, um, Teo says Airbnb, Shopify, Redfin will be interesting reports. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Lemonade, definitely one I want to see. You know, are they finally starting to figure out the insurance originating part of the business? Yeah, I, I'm interested in Lemonade too because. It it if I remember correctly, it popped pretty good after the last report, and they actually got their loss ratios pretty much in line with competitors, at least for that quarter. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if they if that was like a a positive blip or if they can sustain that. So I think I agree with you. That's one. Um, that's one that I want to keep an eye on. What about Disney? So Jen brings up Disney. They're reporting next week. And that yeah, she's right. They're, they're always entertaining to read the comments after that one. Um, I'm curious about Disney as well. I actually sold, I had a very, very tiny amount of Disney stock, like maybe $300 worth. Um, and I sold it a couple months ago in my effort to consolidate my portfolio. Um, but I'm not bearish on the company necessarily. It was what I, it was taking up too much thought for me. So I couldn't bring myself to, put more into it and I couldn't bring myself. I just was, so I just sold it and figured there's plenty of time to buy back in if I feel like they've turned the corner. Um, but I, I really do feel like they have a chance to, to turn this whole thing around. Um, I'm curious, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I, in the past I've, I've called Disney and own forever stock and I don't believe that anymore. Um, based on the way it's performed over the past five years. Well, it really and I actually last time I looked, you could go even over a longer time yeah, frame, six or seven years now. I mean, it's, yeah, it's and it really remarkable. hasn't done. Um, the the they have a management problem. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the bottom line is that when you when your CEO leaves, and longtime CEO who was a driver of the success for the business leaves, his handpicked successor to replace his, it comes back to replace his handpicked successor who just mishandled a good number. It was too operationally focused and not focused maybe on the right parts of the business. And like his, his tenure keeps getting stretched out longer and longer to kind of stay around. Um, that's troublesome for me. Right. I mean, you look at other companies um, that have had that, CEO leave this basically like the, the CEO that made the businesses that existed um, that left and then had to come back and then left again. 
And what a lot of times you see are really great businesses that have to get through a hard patch and earn investor confidence before they deserve any, any, any more money. Um, we have saw that happen with Texas instruments. Um, John Templeton, um, left, right. He had been there since the late nineties. He took over in like Oh two or Oh four really, really got the business just nailing it and then left eh, close to a decade ago. There was some scandal with his handpicked successor came back, stayed for about a part of a decade and then left again about a year ago. And the business seems like it's really doing well. Um, Starbucks is one that's similar story. Um, I, th I think what I struggle with, with Disney is I, I could see both scenarios turning out when it comes to management. I could see Bob Iger riding the ship and Disney going on a great run for the next couple years or however long he wants to stay this time. And then I could also see the exact opposite dysfunction, um, you know, getting getting too caught up in suing the state of Florida or being sued by the state of Florida, like all that stuff. Like, and I just, I, that's what I mean about like, it was taking up too much mind share. I just, I didn't want to think about it anymore. It wasn't a big enough position in my portfolio to really make a difference. So I just decided to kick it out and kind of watch from the sidelines. I think um, the biggest, Jeff, the biggest problem that Disney's dealing with right now that wasn't an issue for Starbucks um, in, in the previous periods and wasn't an issue for um, Texas Instruments is think about the state of the entertainment industry right now. You've got movie theaters in North America that are going through a secular decline. I mean, there's growth in China and other markets. Um, you think about the linear TV business. ESPN was a cash cow for 15 years, right? So they spent all that money to, to build a bigger, the a bigger um, movie studios business, all those big acquisitions. Um, and then they acquired Fox. It's increased part of their uh, linear TV business. They divested some of that, sold it off to others, but like it was part of their linear TV business. And you think about AVC and you think about ESPN, those businesses are going through painful, painful contractions right now as they're trying to build out this streaming business, which is a wonderful product that hasn't started generating economic returns, even to support itself, much less offset the losses in cash flows that are coming from those former cash cow businesses. And sure, the, 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 as Jen points out, Park's done really well. That's, that's, that's really going gangbusters right now, but that's also the most operationally intense part of the business too, right? It's hard yeah. to get that right and keep that going. But the way, um, but the other, but like, so here's the flip side of that whole equation though, right? If you take a big step back and forget the management stuff for a second and just think about what the last four or five years of this company have been like, it's insane. Yeah. Right. Like the, the yeah. pandemic crushed them completely, right? Shut the parks, shut down the cruises. They launched a, a streaming service at the perfect time in some senses, but then also had to just mm -hmm. light cash on fire to sort of keep up with the Joneses and now they're trying to dial that back. But when you when you look at what they have, they have a world a world renowned known quantity parks business that I don't think can be matched anywhere else. Agreed. Agree. They have probably the second strongest streaming service and probably one of the ones that will survive when the inevitable consolidation of all the other ones happens. Yeah. yeah. And it, well and, and they're starting I'd say really they have two they have two of the three most powerful because of Hulu, right? Well, and then I was just, yeah, I was going to yeah. pivot to that next. Like they also have 
Hulu, which I think is actually really valuable and could be a big winner in where people land when they cut the when, when everyone eventually cuts the cord and cable right. mostly right. or completely dies. And then they have you know and they have the incredible amount of IP with the streaming services that they need to get the cost structures figured out. And I think they will. I mean, the Disney Plus has been around for not even three years, four years, right? And in end of 2019, it launched. Yeah. And then the last thing, I think ESPN is still a something can be done with ESPN to make it profitable again, I think. And I, I, it just feels like they need to sort of cut the cord on the, on the cable stuff and just go full into streaming, even if it, you know, cannibalizes or kills some of their business in the short term. So like, I mean, this is what I mean. There's so many things you could say like this, 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 and this, and they'll be fine, but will they execute? And how long will Bob Iger be there? And you see the right person, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. I mean, if you're, if you own it already, I, I don't, and you have a big stake, I wouldn't sell it. I um, love a turnaround, Jeff, and I've been very tempted. I've been very, very tempted to buy. Um, but I want to see some signs that like, not just the market has turned and like the, the things are working, but the leadership is really, that's a big question mark for me. I mean, I was a big Bob Iger believer, but you know, you got to have somebody in place to be the ne- the next person. And they've really struggled with that. Yeah. All right. Last thing I wanted to talk about as we wrap up here, last couple of minutes, we talked about companies that maybe we're worried about or want to keep an eye on or interesting earnings. Let's flip this. Let's flip the the script here. Is there any company in your portfolio that you think either are expecting or think could have a, a really strong quarter as they all report here in the next several weeks? I'm I'm hoping STEM has a big quarter. Um, I'm I'm not convinced that they are, um, but I'm hoping they do. So they do like utility scale, commercial scale batteries, and then their software overlay. Um, renewables have taken a hit. Um, it's been tough, but like I'm I'm optimistic that they're going to show because they talked about they were going to be free cash flow positive this in the fourth quarter. I really want to see them in the year on a strong note with cash generation because they spent a ton of, of their cash from going public on some acquisitions and stuff, and they've they've got to get their their operating statement generating cash flow because um, their balance sheet could be a lot of trouble. So I'm fingers crossed that's that STEM's going to deliver, and I'm I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that we're going to see something positive from Lemonade. And one more, we've already talked about lemonade, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but one more, I'm really op- optimistic um, Boston Omaha is going gonna, is gonna to deliver results that we're going to be happy with. Yeah, I was going to mention Boston Omaha. I mean, the fact that Sky Harbor, which they're big shareholders in, is doing so well and their stock isn't, is that alone makes me scratch my head. I, I don't know that I would say I feel confident that they'll have good quarters, but I'm hopeful after seeing some of the results with uh, Meta and also Google to some extent that the ad market is back a little bit. So I'm hopeful that I'll see good results out of the companies I own that have exposure to the ad space. So the Trade Desk and Roku, and I guess maybe even like Etsy to some degree um, selling ads on on their platform. But you know, as I look through my portfolio, I have more more companies that have exposure to ads. I mean, even Amazon, they just reported. I, I didn't actually look close enough to see how their advertising segment did. But that's a, a group of stocks that I own that I, I'm hopeful and semi-confident will have, have good ends of the years. Yeah. yeah Jen, <laughs> yeah. Jen says she would have bought alcohol to this party if she knew this one was that Boston Omaha was going to be discussed. That's another one that I just can't 
it it makes me feel like I'm missing something. Is there is there some piece of this that yeah. everyone else sees that I don't see? But there's enough people I think that you and I know, Jason, who are still really really bullish on the company that I know that's confirmation bias, but it people smarter than me make me feel like we just need to hang in there. Yeah. No, and I think it's 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 reasonable when it's people you trust and who you know have the chops to really analyze a business. You know, I don't think that's necessarily so bad. Teo, I just want to say I see what you did there with your comments about Disney, Star Wars and Marvel running those franchises into the ground. This is not the way. Well, well done. I I want to say one thing and and I think that was part of the reason Iger came back is because Chapek was so focused on operational efficiency, they weren't letting the creatives in the studio's business really do their thing. And that got it. And that's why we ended up with a lot of, and honestly, a little bit of like the quality issue started under Iger's um, initial tenure. But I do think that's been a big thing they've really been focused more on in this second go round with Iger is, is um, letting the creative people do great things with content. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people complain that they, in their rush to get series out, especially in the first year that the service has launched, I mean, it seemed like every, you know, as soon as one Marvel or, or Disney series ended, you know, the next week, the next one would start. And as someone who has two kids who love Marvel and Star Wars, it was great. Like we gave us a lot of stuff to watch together as a family, but even by the end of it, even my kids were starting to like lose interest because I think the storylines were not even compelling for kids, <laughs> you know, like yep. even, even though the action was there and their favorite characters were there. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you have to, you have to not tarnish your brand, but on the other hand, it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of how Amazon, you know, Amazon kind of had to double its footprint in two years, like it did just to keep up with demand. And I feel like when you're launching a, a service and then all of a sudden there's a pandemic and everyone's locked up at home. I understand the pressure to to pump out content on the front end. Um but you can't do that forever. You know, it's just not not sustainable. So they have to they have to figure that part out. We got about five minutes left here. So if anybody else has any last minute questions, please uh please get them into us. We will definitely take a minute or two to answer them. Um yeah and while we're while we're waiting to see if there's any more other questions, I want to quickly uh hit our housekeeping that we didn't do at the beginning. So um, just a reminder to everyone, if you're on this link, you are listening to this live, you probably know we have a newsletter because that's how we sent the information out. But if you're listening to this later or watching it on YouTube later, uh, check out our newsletter. You can just go to investingunscripted.com and punch in your email address and you'll get a weekly newsletter from us and also the transcript to all the regular podcast shows. Yes, uh, we realize those of you that are watching this live already subscribed, but we're going to publish this on the podcast stream. So right. we want those people that didn't see it live to figure out how to see it live. Exactly. And the other request is if you're listening and you are enjoying the show, uh, giving us ratings on the podcast apps and writing reviews on Apple Podcasts is incredibly helpful. I've noticed that on the weeks where we get a lot of reviews and ratings, we actually start to show up on some of the podcast charts, which means more people are, are seeing us in their feeds and checking out the show. So, um, you know, we really appreciate everyone's help and we're trying to grow the audience as much as we can. To, to respond to Teo's comment, the investing portfolio contest is looking great. I'm already looking at my moonshot portfolio and scratching my head why I didn't put this or that stock there. I will tell you right now, I think there are better than even odds that somebody who is an audience member who built a portfolio ends up actually winning, which I think would be incredibly fantastic if that 
if that happened. Jeff, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a full review of it. Well, a full mini review since it's only one month uh, when we record uh, of one of our podcast episodes next week. Yeah. So the show that comes out on this coming Wednesday, so the six, seven, eighth, uh, seventh, eighth. Yeah, the seventh. Whatever that Wednesday is. Um, March seventh. We're gonna do a, a quick. Uh, January review of the 2024 portfolio. It won't be super in-depth for two reasons. We're trying to keep the monthly reviews short and make the quarterly reviews a little bit more in-depth, but also there is a ton more <laughs> stocks and portfolios to talk about. So we just can't fit them all into any one episode, even if we wanted to. But I will say this as a as a teaser, uh, two things that I think are interesting. One is that I believe, at least look just looking at it, not doing the actual math, the the audience page is whooping the lot guests. Yeah, a lot, lot more green. green on the audience page than on so, the uh, uh, Anna Marie. Anna Marie Lamb is uh, right now is the is is winning. Yep. yep. And second is uh, Mitch Fatel, who picked a penny stock, which is awesome. and is yes. So it's a, a YouTube viewer and a comedian have the uh, are in the early lead. <laughs> That's so awesome. I love it. I love yep. it. Um, and the other thing that I think is worth just worth mentioning. I I don't know why I feel like I should bring this up, but. Jason is absolutely getting destroyed. It's early. It's only a month, but it does bring joy to my heart. It's bad too. It's bad. I'm down 24% people. Down 24%. Yeah. Only dips, only by dips. So that's that's what's happening. So we will share our thoughts in more detail on, on Wednesday's uh, podcast. Jeff, um, big weekend plans? What you doing this weekend? Uh, no, it, I, it's a lot of like catching up on the normal... Uh, normal things of life since we were away this past weekend. So That's right. That's exciting right. things like laundry and grocery shopping and and obviously preparing for our wonderful podcast and newsletter and all those things. Obviously, obviously. Uh, Teo says long weekend in Mexico, Monday off work. Good for you. Enjoy that. Uh, enjoy that off. It was leg day today for me, Jeff. So I will spend <laughs> tomorrow not being able to stand. So that's that's mine. <laughs> All right, here's my uh here's my final question before we sign off here. Okay. What's your uh Super Bowl prediction? Oh, um I'm going to predict that uh Tay-Tay is going to take over the halftime show and um she's going to tell everybody to vote for Joe Biden. Oh, so you're reading all the conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> um honestly, I I don't know the, who's Who's going to have the best commercial is really all I care about because I don't really care if the Chiefs... Yeah, I'm not super. I don't really care who wins the game. I, I would have... I'll say this. Had Detroit won, I would have been massively rooting I'm for the Lions. Completely with you but... there. Completely with you there. Um, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I got some friends that are big Niners fans, so I kind of feel like I'm pulled in that direction. Um, the Chiefs, have they've won their fair share. They won a couple in the past few years. So, Ateo asked how much I squat. Not nearly enough is the best answer that I can give you. It's the best answer. About one Santoro, <laughs> I'm thinking. Yeah, 1.5 Santoros. So, okay. All right. Uh, I'll read us out here, Jeff. This was fun. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it for a full hour, too. I hit the buttons right this time. As always, just a reminder, Jeff and I absolutely love answering your questions, giving our thoughts on these hard investing topics, doing it in real time with our best favorite listeners, except for those of you who are listening to the recording because you're actually really our favorite best listeners, not the people that are on the live stream right now. With that said, it's up to every one of you to figure out your answers to those questions. We can give ours. Yours are yours. Own it. You can do it. I believe in you. Jeff believes in you. 
Jeff, we'll see you next time, buddy. See you next time. Thanks, everyone.